This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tim, thanks very much for making the show. Thanks, you. thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, pandemic, uh, virtual podcasts are always interesting. Yeah. Generally in person. Are, yeah. Yeah. I imagine you do mostly in person interviews, right? Um, I guess, I guess podcasts are actually often like this. Um, most other stuff yeah. is in person that has, uh, become not in person, but like, I think an ideal a podcast in person is ideal, but um, it, it, I think this is actually one of the one of the ways Zoom was probably being used a lot beforehand too. Right, right. Considering I'm in Brazil, I mean, I guess uh, just to be able to do the interview, it's uh, it's a blessing, I guess, to have something exactly. like Zoom or something more virtual. So, well, I'm really excited to have you on. I, uh, I've been following your work for quite a number of years, and it seems like even though I've seen your podcast, blog posts, friends always seem to refer back to some of the longer form blogs that you've written. Um, for people that aren't aware, how would you describe what you do and more specifically, what type of writing, what type of writer, I guess you are, if that's the right term? Yeah. Um, I write, um, I, I kind of like do a deep dive. Like I do like a curiosity deep dive into something. And then I um, like, I'll just find a topic that I wish I knew more about or that I've been hearing a lot about um, uh, and, or something I know something about and I know I like it, but I want to learn more and I'll just kind of dive in. And sometimes the, sometimes I'm doing a, a shorter thing, sometimes a longer thing. Um, in the old days, and actually I'd like to get back to this because it's kind of a fun way to do it, is I would just do, have a week. And so I would like two or three days, what can I learn? Um, or I'd be thinking, you know, instead of uh, learning, it might be that I'm going to try to, um, something I already have a sense of, like, you know, why we procrastinate, for example. And because and, right. uh, that's something that I myself do all the time. And so instead of, um, that might be one where I say, well, I'm just going to actually try to, um, talk about the personal experience here or what my, my kind of observation. So e either way, I, I, I'll pick a topic and either research a bunch or I'll brainstorm a, a bunch about what, what I already think and try to, then I, I, the game becomes, if, um, if I could go back, how could I, now that I know how, um, how I actually learned about this, how could I do it more efficiently? How could I really, um, teach someone what I just learned way quicker mm -hmm. than I learned it and make it a lot more like fun and interesting. Um, or again, if it's the brainstorm type thing, if I'm, if I'm it's not researchy, but I'm saying, okay, how can I take all these kind of more scattered thoughts in my head or these general ideas I have, how can I make that into something that's like uh, really engaging and, and quicker and more interesting. Um, and so 
then I will turn around and create um, what I call a blog post. I don't know. There's sometimes a mini book there. They can get really book, long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have this disease where I, um, <laughs> I have a disease where I write something like longer, but the writing gets longer as yeah. time goes on. So I, um, because I give myself more space to write more and then I fill that space by making it longer and um, uh, more thorough, uh, you know, cause, cause that, that, the, the tempting thing about length is you can um you know sometimes it's frustrating where i learn a ton and and with only a little bit of space i know i, I can only kind of explain the surface of uh of something um or i can get into it a little but you know the the, the appeal of length is i, I oh, let's get into the whole thing let's really understand this so mm. I, I i'm going back and forth with that a little bit yeah but the, but the, the product ends up being uh, long form blog posts uh that um uh, that um I, I have a lot of fun doing yeah right right and the topics really range from ai tech to procrastination to relationships to career advice like it's really all across the spectrum more of a really more relates to what you're interested in ultimately right it's the curiosity that brings you in uh, that kind of draws you in and it's your own journey almost because I think a lot of blog posts and a lot of people that give advice, they put themselves kind of on the pedestal where they're giving advice or they're kind of sharing what they've, you know, why they're the expert and why you should do this. Whereas I think what differentiates your blog post is like, it's almost just like a, a, a kind of like a, a, a useful journal almost of the things that you've done, the mistakes you've made and what you've learned from it and just kind of sharing your own experiences in a more visual, very appealing long form manner. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, at some point I learned a lesson, which was that, um, there's like not that many categories of people out there. There's like, I don't know how many there are, but, um, like there's like a hundred thousand of you, Sean out there. Um, in, uh, and that, that you don't realize, like they, they, they might be all over the world. They might be all different ages. They might have all different kinds of careers, but they, they, they actually are interested in really just the same kind of stuff you're interested in. And they really like the way you think, cause they think really similarly and mm. they share your sense of humor and they share your level of curiosity. So th they like to go just as in depth before they start to get bored. If things start to get too technical or too detailed, uh, their curiosity goes right to the same depth, they, they, you know, because some people have a curiosity that just they want the surface. And then when you get into it more, they they kind of tune out other people. They, they want to go. They want to get a Ph.D. They want to go all the way to the bottom of something. Right. And so the, the but the hundred thousand Sean's out there share your breadth preferences with curiosity mm -hmm. and your depth preferences. They share your sense of humor, et cetera. So um, when I realized that. And I think there's actually probably even fewer categories. And that's probably 100,000 Tims. There's probably like, I don't know, 10 million Tims out there. It's still 7 billion people. So we're talking yeah. of one, uh, if you take the average group of 7,000 people, 8,000 almost now, um, and you pick the one that happens to be most like me, that's a million person group, right? And if you say 10 million, that's one in 700. So there's someone in the 700 that probably happens to be really similar. Okay, now we have 10 million people. So... Um, the once you realize that I'm like, well, why do I need to be an expert and give advice? Now there are experts that give advice and that's awesome. And I'm happy they do because I sometimes read them. Um, but what the, I know what the hundred thousand Tim's like or the 10 million Tim's is 
um, they would rather ha- they want to have fun while they're learning something they want. They, they, they're interested in a ton of different things. They have a certain sense of humor where they happen to like uh, visual things. They like stick comics. And so I just kind of do, that's my gauge. Um, and mm. if, I know that if I would like, if someone sent me a certain article done a certain way, then that's a good way to do the articles. Got it. Got it. And your, so your approach when you're looking at uh, writing these blog posts and how you frame it is, do I ultimately want to read something like this? Am I interested in it? And you think about it as a way, okay, there's probably, if I like it, you know that there's going to be 10 more million people that are going to love what you're doing because that's kind of the difference, right? You're not just writing something to make it interesting. You really want someone to be a fanatic of whatever it is that you're reading. Yeah. It's, um, (coughs) excuse me. Um, it's, like, you know, AI, I wasn't sure if I was interested in it, actually. Sometimes these, um, it's kind of really out there. <clears throat> um, future tech, actually, I, I, I read about them and I'm thinking, it's like, there's like a one in a hundred chance this thing actually like comes to fruition. It sounds great when you're in it, but I'm like, I, right. so I actually wasn't even sure, you know, like AI sounds great, but I was like, am I actually interested? So this is the important point. Like a lot of times mm-hmm. we... We, we have a list of our interests that actually are kind of dictated by what we think we should be interested in and what sounds interesting or what we think um, other people would that like us might be interested in without actually kind of checking in with ourselves. And like, am I like when I read about this as a chore or am I actually like, is it a page turner? You know, am right. I uh, am I kind of exhilarated by the topic? Do I really want to go tell people about it? Do I find myself thinking about it? Not just right after I read it, but like a week later. So AI, I wasn't sure, dug in, read a few books, passed that test. I was really mind blown. And I was like, oh, this is, a, and also it was just, a, this is a huge deal. This is not, this is, a, you know, it's not a one in a hundred chance. First of all, it's already here. AI is running much of the world, uh, narrow yeah. AI. But then, um, but then this could be like a ridiculously big part of the future. And so, uh, and I felt like I, I could learn enough that I could write something really interesting on it without digging in for two years. So, sure. you know, it's, yeah, it's that kind of um, thought process. Well, you, you also have, you also had access to, you know, someone like Elon Musk that has probably is leading that frontier of multiple companies that are working on one of the most innovative AI technologies. Is that something that was, was a spawn of you being more interested in AI, like that you had actually close access to information that maybe a lot of people didn't have, or were you already kind of interested in it? And that's what made Elon Musk reach out. Yeah. Cause I'm really curious to the dig second. into that story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the second. Yeah, yeah. So AI, that example. Um, and this, I would say is an important thing for like any like aspiring nonfiction writers to think about is like, I had no connections when I wrote about AI. I, I had every connection that anyone else has. Um, this was pretty early. You know, I didn't know anyone. Um, and I- What year read, was your first, uh, sorry to interrupt. What year did you start writing about AI? Waypoint, uh, uh, this was, uh, so Waypoint started like mid 2013 and I wrote about AI. Like I started getting into it at the end of 2014, early 2015. So yeah. it's like a year and a half in. And, um, and uh and I, uh, I, I just read books that I kept hearing about and I read a ton of articles and um, 
listened to a bunch of podcasts and just kind of got the landscape. And so much of what I was writing about there wasn't here's like what's going to happen. Here's the, you know, it was, here's what the experts are saying. That's what that post was. And, and they disagree with each other. So I tried to give like a landscape of like, here's the range of what they're saying and here's what they're talking about. That's all that post was. And it's, it's actually like, um, it's an important thing to remember. It's like, you don't need expertise or connections to write like the definitive primer on something. You really don't. You just, um, you, uh, you have to be, um, curious enough to curious curiosity powers. Cause you know, it wasn't just, Oh, finally I got through the three AI books. Now I can done. No, it was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I was supposed to, I just wanted to read one and skim one. I ended up reading the whole thing a second, a third, because my curiosity was driving that. And then I went and read a bunch of articles online because I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and there were like, you know, journal articles and, and things that were kind of written more boringly that I didn't read because I, my curiosity didn't want to go there. So, uh, you know, and then I listened to podcasts and I just started, the more I learned, the more I understood it. And when you, that, that's this exhilarating thing. When you start to understand something, it becomes um, addictive to keep learning because now mm. every article you read, you actually get it. It actually makes sense. Um, you actually can, uh, you actually can put it, you know, somewhere uh, it's like a tree trunk. I think, you know, you've built a, 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 a foundation, you've built a trunk. And now every article is like a leaf that you can tack on or a branch you can tack on to the tree. If you don't have the tree trunk and you learn something, it's actually kind of boring. You're forcing yourself through it. You're thinking, good, I learned something. You didn't really. You're going to forget about mm. it. You're going to forget it, you know, the next day. Um, or you're not going to fully, it's not going to, it, it didn't fully click. So it didn't help you understand anything better. So I started to get my tree trunk and I went from there. So um, that's actually, in this case, that's how Elon found me because he's obsessed with AI. He's very scared of it. It's like one of the things that is one of the main drivers of what he does is a fear of a future world where AI um, is way smarter than people and that we're like house cats he talks about and um, and we can't take it back. You know, like uh, the other animals of the world invented humans. Now that we're here, they can take us back. Right. Like it, it, uh, we are uh, smarter than them. We can put them in a cage and what are they going to do? Right. So um, and um, so he's one of many people that are nervous. And then there were other people I found that weren't. But anyway, of course, it was an awesome moment for a random blogger when um, Elon got in touch. He wanted to talk. How did he get in touch? Like it was email. He like, he it was an email from, uh, from a, like an assistant of his, okay. um, who said, and again, this scene, you know, it was, it's, you know, from the, from the office of Elon Musk, um, uh, subject line that almost didn't open the email. I mean, it's like, they're like, this is obviously sad. a spam email. <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and then it was like, you know, Elon likes your writing and would like to, well, so first he tweeted out the, the post, ah, which was, okay. which was very exciting. Um, it was like, Oh, wow. Uh, Okay hope I said everything right in that post because that post is now getting a lot of traffic. Um, And then I did part two and he tweeted that out too. I was like, okay, this guy, like he came back, you know, he really liked it. You know, he came back for part two. Um, And so, so that, you know, that, that's part of why I opened the email because I was like, maybe, maybe it's real. And and it it was, and there was this uh, nice woman who was got in the phone and said, you know, he'd love to talk about, you know, maybe uh, if you'd ever be interested in writing about some of the things he's working on. And, you know, it's, it's obviously I would have, had the conversation either way. And, you know, it would have been fun, but I actually, this, this case, I actually already had both SpaceX and Tesla on my big topic list. We're already there because I just find, I already found them so compelling. Um, I already, you know, I was kind of already uh, a fan of these companies. So 
you know, it wasn't like someone saying, oh, you know, this, this really, really um, famous entrepreneur is reaching out and they want you to write about their like, you know, um, you know, their, their, their kind of manufacturing plants um, or their distribution empire, you know, things that I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can make that interesting or if I, even if I can, like, I'm not sure I wanted, that's a topic, but here it was like space, you know, um, you know, re revolutionizing the entire car industry, like, uh, and the energy industry, like big, exciting things as big as AI, you know? So, sure. so then I'm on the phone again. I, I imagine it's going to be him calling, uh, with some other people on the line and he's going to say hello and then he's going to leave and they're going to talk about, you know, that's what I was imagining. Um, yeah. Just him calling. And we talked for over an hour about all kinds of stuff, just great conversation. By, by you know, the beginning I was nervous. By the end, I forgot this was, you know, someone important. I'm thinking this is kind of just talking, you know, it, it felt like just like, you know, riffing with a friend. I mean, really, really like normal down to earth guy. Wow. You know, loves talking about TV shows, loves talking about, you know, just laughs a lot, like really easy to talk to. So we had this great combo. And um, the plan by the end of it was, you know, he didn't even have a specific plan. You know, are you, you going to write something on my company websites or uh, what, you know, what, 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 what should the plan be? And by the end, I was like, no, I want to do this on Wait But Why, where I can do all my drawings. I can do everything the way I want and do it full, fully long. And like, that'll be super weird if it's like the Tesla website has short blog posts and then there's one that's like a length of a book makes no sense. So yeah, that, that went from there. And was he trying to convince you to, to write for the blog? Like, was it like a, was there some sort of like a, a transaction to, to get you to write it? Or was it just more like he knew that you were, you know, you respected his work and like, I, I guess, what is the relationship there? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was really pure. I mean, he, he basically was like, look, I think your AI and other things you've written are, are very um, uh, thorough and accurate. Accuracy matters so much to him. So I think he yeah. could see that I was very intent on like, like accuracy doesn't mean I always know. It means that when I don't know, or when something's unclear, when people are, you know, when there's 80% confidence, you just say that, right? So you're just accurate, accurate about what you know, and you try to get facts right as much as you can. If you, and if you're not sure if you did, just say that, right? So I think he was in a world where a lot of people, he, he gets very frustrated with, um, with uh, misinformation, about especially about stuff he's doing and there's a lot of it because it's hard to understand and there's he also has you know people who don't like what he's doing and they they you know intentionally um mischaracterize it so yeah. i think that that and i think you know he and i share a sense of humor i think he also like liked reading the things he thinks they're in, engaging and so he basically wanted me to take those things and you know engaging uh, and accuracy and um it was basically just offering, like, if you want to write about my, you know, and, and what he, what he made clear was that I would just have um, a lot of access to him and to other people. And we had, and so it, there was still not a cent has been paid. You know, there's, it's, it's always been just uh, like, he's basically, I'll give you access to these worlds. Um, you can dive in, indulge your curiosity, uh, learn everything about it and write about it. Which is awesome for me. And, uh, and in return, like I'll write, really long, long, thorough things, which will help people understand what he's trying to do, which is what he wants. So it just it was yeah. a very symbiotic thing. And um, he doesn't do things like a normal, uh, like, you know, billionaire entrepreneur titan of industry. Like you think that these people have like giant teams around them and everything is very, um, you know, oh, you come in, you, you know, you, you know, you, you start working and you, um, you know, 
uh, you sign the NDAs and you have the, the, the press approved people you talk to. And it's very um, loose and kind mm-hmm. of um, and certain things are very loose. And so the, the you know, the, there was a lot of trust. Basically, I could talk to anyone. Um, you know, I would just be like, oh, I'm going to talk to this person and the head of structures and the head of avionics at SpaceX. And uh, and and they were just offering me, you know, the, there's the head of satellites. You want to talk? You know, so yes, of course. I want, um, some of these people weren't press approved. And some of the info they were giving me was not necessarily stuff they wanted to, out there. But these people didn't know what they wanted. So what, the, 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 what we ended up doing is just they told me whatever. I put whatever I thought was interesting in the blog post and I ran it by them. And, you know, there's, there's all these rules also, not just on their side, but in journalism. Oh, you know, I, I've, I've put something in a, an interview before that got published. And afterwards, I was like, eh, I didn't like, I don't think that's like something I want out there. And they're like, sorry, you know, we can't retract. We can't mm. like, oh, journalistic, like whatever. I'm like, I'm a blogger. I can go if you, I, I, if, you it, if there's something in there that you don't want out in the world. Now, if, if he had come back and been like, this is a little critical of Tesla. This is a little bit, you know, um, I don't want you, you know, poking fun at me. I would have been like such so bummed because then it would have, you know, then I would have had a hard time because I still have the, have the integrity of my own style and my own. Um, <clears throat> I want. It was clear I was going to make whatever points I wanted to make. You know, I was sure, doing. Yeah. But the things they would, they took out like the smallest things, like the the um, bandwidth of their satellite internet, ex, you know, expected bandwidth, like little tiny things like that. That they were like, that's we don't want like competition knowing the exact like numbers on something right. really small. Right. Um, and so that was that. And then very easy kind of relationship um, and wrote a bunch and then came back, you know, a year later, or a couple years later and wrote about um, Neuralink as well. Yeah. And I want to dig into Neuralink for sure. Uh, did you get a chance to go to and, and have a one-on-one with Elon as well, like in person and, and really yeah. dig into his story and how he thinks? Yeah, he was, he's very, very, very available. Um, um, for, for this project. Um, we met in person a couple of times. We, uh, talked on the phone a, a bunch of times, you know, it was, it was pretty easy to just say, you know, okay, I, I would go and do all the research I could and want to waste his time. Um, <clears throat> I'll do all the research I could. And then I would, um, um, <clears throat> I would, uh, kind of figure out where the holes still were, but it wasn't just always, you know, because again, I could ask his experts, I could ask his staff for specific. De- it was much more like what the big philosophy here. What's the big, you know? And and so we just got on these phone calls and kind of get into like what's the big, big, big picture here of humanity and get into those kind of conversations, which would help me paint the really big story, which is what I wanted right. to talk to him about because because uh, that you know he's the that's the reason these companies exist because of the big story in his head. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, and what, what were the things you learned about him that maybe isn't out there as much in the press in terms of how he thinks, I think you wrote a little bit about it in your Neuralink post in terms of how he looks at starting companies, what's his starting point, what's kind of the way he works towards his vision and maybe like how that's different than maybe how most entrepreneurs are doing it today. Yeah. So he, um, He's a very, um, he, 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 so if you notice, like, you know, I don't know when things got so clear in his head about his mission and his reasons, but if you listen to interviews from him in 2008 and interviews in today, there's a lot of really similar sentiment, really similar points. And I think he just is, you know, he's changed. Of course, he's changed the specifics a lot, 
you know, I don't think he right. even considered back then, you know, something like Neuralink or understood a lot of the challenges of SpaceX that he understands better now, for example, or where Tesla would be going. But the, the, the big picture has always been two things. One is the one I think people know more about. I mean, the people who there's a lot of cynics who will say things um, like, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to pull this up for people. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So there's a lot of cynics that, of course, will, will attribute all kinds of things. You know, he wants to be rich. He wants to um, have power. But I, I, I really, you know, I, I don't think that's what it is. Like, I've talked to him a lot and I, I truly don't think that uh, I think that his what he says his motives are really are his motives. Um, so if you look on the far right here, you see in tr- increased chance of a good future. So this is the big thing. Um, he he knows that we you know there's nothing we can do to guarantee a good future for humanity, but he, he's not very focused on individuals um, as much. Like he, you know, I asked him about like, well, how about improving lifespan of humans? He's like, yeah, you know, that would be nice. But uh, what he cares about is the lifespan of the species. He wants the species to go on and not go extinct or the way he would phrase it is he wants to preserve the light of human consciousness, especially if we're, you know, we might be the only life. We don't know. The Fermi paradox is confusing. Maybe there's the universe is teeming with life, but we truly don't know that. Uh, and there's some very smart people who suggest maybe it's very rare. And so he, he wants to preserve the light of human consciousness. He thinks it's this, you know, he feels very emotional about that. And, and not just that though, increased chance of a good future wants future, wants the future of humanity to be better than the present, not worse. So from there he works backwards. So, here you see Neuralink, um, uh, which is the, the idea is to work backwards. Well, what w- are the things? Uh, so this is actually an earlier. There's a there's a that yellow thing is missing, um, ah, but check. that's uh, it's <laughs> if you I think it's down at the bottom. But oh. uh, in, the, in the meantime, I'll say the point is so that so if you work back from um, actually, here's what you should do: find SpaceX. Okay, well, that works. That works too. Okay, so, um, so basically, it works back. So, reduce existential risk. Okay, so this is so far. If you go backwards, we're we're uh, all SpaceX, Tesla, and Neuralink all are still fit into this thing. Now, if you work back one more, now we get to something more specific that only applies to Neuralink. So, for SpaceX, um, with the 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 the, the thing that would reduce existential risk is making life multi-planetary, which is, you know, not having all of our eggs in one basket. Um, and, you know, things like asteroids could happen or AI, some disaster. But if we're on two planets, you know, maybe we can survive it better than if we're on one, um, which mm-hmm. is why SpaceX exists. Tesla, it would be, you know, accelerating the advent of a sustainable energy world because of climate change and economic disaster from running out of fossil fuels and other um, awful things that could create, you know, absolute catastrophe for future humans. And so that, you know, everything stems from here. Now, in the case of Neuralink, it has to do specifically with fear of AI. And this is more, this is the hardest one to explain kind of, but it's basically <laughs> that he thinks that if we can't beat it, then join it. You know, if we can't, if we're not going to stop AI from being built, then at least let's um, become AI ourselves, which means you still have human intelligence in your brain. You're not changing that, but now you also have artificial intelligence in your brain. Um, so you have both, um, and you can now interface with a, with kind of um, some kind of AI system that you can think with. And that's a whole. I mean, that that's a whole. That's a that's a very that's the that's a very um, 
it takes a little while for this one to click. Other SpaceX and Tesla are easier, but the point is how, so how do we get there? We need mass adoption of the whole brain interface. That's the, the specific goal. Okay. If we have that, then we, then everything goes towards that green circle for Tesla. This is uh, mass adoption of electric cars and solar and batteries and, you know, whatever, um, you know, mass adoption of this stuff so that fossil fuels get used less and fossil fuel plants close and solar energy, uh, solar fields open and, um, you know, electric cars and all of this. Um, so in this case, it's that, right, right. And then, and then, you know, and then SpaceX, again, it would be, the actual goal would be multi-planetary colonization so that we have not all our eggs are in one basket. So, you know, life insurance for the species so that we have an increased chance of a good future. Now, in order to get to these three goals, there always has to be a business model um, that there, there needs a lot of, you know, he, one company can't do that goal alone. There needs to be a widespread industry so to stoke that industry, SpaceX, Tesla, and Neuralink, their first and foremost mission is to innovate and make the technology better, so good that consumers want it, and so that, and so that it's so good that, um, that the, the industry has no choice but to kind of jumpstart and have all kinds of players come in. He wants competition. Um, and so the very first thing is increase the technology, make the industry mm-hmm. so appealing. So for Tesla... People used to think an electric car was like a golf cart. It was like, you know, if you want a real car, you need a gas car. If you want to be able to have acceleration. Anyone who's driven a Tesla knows that they've solved that problem. Tesla is like the most crazy acceleration. Um, They had to make a great electric car, something so good that it was like the iPhone of cars, something so much better than the existing cars that it could fight through all of that inertia that the gas and gas car industry has and all of the actors that are trying to want to keep it that way, it would be so good that the world would have no choice, but to adopt it. And that the other car companies would have no choice, but to start these things uh, to start making electric cars. So that's what they did Uh, for years. They made those breakthroughs. They innovated um, as like a laboratory, but how do you pay for that? Well, that's the very bottom thing. You need a sustainable business model. So they sell cars. They sell cars, they sell solar roofs, they sell batteries. This is how, and so they started with a really fancy car that they could make a lot of money off, you know, high margins. And then they went for the Model S and then eventually the Model 3. And the idea is to bring it down to the point where people are like, okay, wow, this is actually like the best buy is these electric cars. SpaceX, their business model is they take things to space for people. You know, the company wanted to take a satellite, they deliver it to space, put it in orbit, and they get paid a lot of money to do that. While doing that with their Falcon 9, they are innovating. They're also, they're delivering something, and now let's do some innovation. Let's try to land the rocket. Okay, failed. Next delivery, get paid, deliver something. Okay, now let's try again. And, you know, eventually they hit it. They learn how to land rockets, which reduces, hugely reduces the the price of space, you know, uh, delivery because you... um, because you don't have to build a new rocket for every single flight. And now China is getting close to being able to land a rocket. This is what Elon wants. He wants, um, he wants these companies to the business model to support innovation, which is so good that eventually everyone starts adopting it. And eventually the industry starts exploding and eventually we become multiplanetary. And then for Neuralink, finally, it's, you know, cutting edge BMI's brain machine interfaces. So something that can help, um, something that can help someone with Parkinson's or with, you know, recovering from a stroke or paralysis. Some, you know, there's all kinds of 
things that a brain machine interface can do that can be groundbreaking for people with a disability. By doing so, they hope to innovate and build this brain machine interface technology so good that people want it who don't have a disability so that you can have all kinds of cool things. And once you have that, it becomes a whole industry starts and all kinds of companies are making BMIs and, you know, people are getting less scared to put them in and mass adoption eventually, you know, this is the AI integration and increased chance of a good future. So this is the kind of thing that I wanted to talk to Elon about. I can, I can get Mm. info on how fast is the, you know, the Tesla going to be and uh, what's the rollout schedule. I, I can get that from someone else, but but for him, I, I didn't want to just, you know, write about, oh, SpaceX rockets are cool and they take things to space and maybe we'll go to Mars. But OK, back up. Why? What, why Mars? What, what's going on here? Right. Like, what, what are we doing? And that's that's what we got into is just really big combos. So this whole chart, that is this is a complete product of um, many, many conversations with him. Uh, the biggest picture kind. Um, and he loves talking about, it. you know, it's not he's not in interview mode. He's just excited. Now, I'll say something is that people who do, who follow him, they know about this. They know that his, his whole increased chance of a good future. They know about that is the thing that drives him. There's something else that drives him that I think people are, are less aware of, um, which is um, he has a, like a, he, he believes like a, for human life to be a good future is not just safety, but actually fun. Like he, he talks about fun a lot, right? Yeah, um, the value of like enjoying life, the value of being inspired. So inspiration, he wants people to, he wants people to wake up in the morning and feel proud to be a human and be excited and have adventures. So he talks about, you know, he says when we go multiplanetary, it's not just, it's two reasons. One, it's life insurance for the species. And the second reason is he, his words, it's, it'll be the greatest adventure in history. That for him is an end goal. That is a, an actual um, valuable end goal where, um, you know, the sixties, the moon landing must've been a really exciting time. He wants to bring times like that back. The Tesla is not just good for the future, but he thinks it's a fun car to drive. He thinks brain machine interfaces will be unbelievably fun to have. Um, I think this actually is important to him that he wants not just life to go on for a long time, but life to be good and exciting. And he wants, um, and, and I think that that just comes from his own personality. I think he, you know, um, I think he thinks that way. I think he likes to have fun and likes to think of, think, they don't think of it that way as a real value. Mm. And with all the things that you've talked about, I'm just going to stop the sharing since you've really covered it pretty detailedly. Um, for, for all the things that you talked about with him, obviously a lot of the things that he's working on is hoping to, make the future a better place for, for humanity. Um, did you ever think about, uh, did you get into in deep details in terms of how he views the future? And maybe that's how, how that's shaped the way you think about the future. You had this very interesting quote. I think it was in an interview where you're looking at, you know, the, the, the lifespan of humans is like a hundred thousand years. And if it's like a 500 page book, then, uh, each, every page is two centuries and you're looking at, you know, let's say we're on the 500th page right now. If this was to be, if for human civilization to be a 5,000 page book, let's say, where would the last chapter, what would that look like based on, you know, the things that you've researched and maybe even conversations that you've had with Elon in terms of how he envisions the future, if you were to look at 
that long of a futuristic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you have to look for, you can look for, you can try to get that answer. It's like, you need clues both from the present. The present has a lot of clues about the future. If you look for them, um, you know, someone who saw the roadster, the Tesla roadster in 2009 and really understood how good it was. If they were able to just, you know, reason from first principles, you know, and think, you know, just original thinking about this, you know, not based on conventional wisdom, but what's, what does that mean? They might've been able to say, you know, I think that in 10 years, electric cars will be very normal and everywhere. And maybe in 30 years, they'll be the only thing. Cause it, driving that car once you'd be like, Oh, wait a second. Right. So there's a lot of things like that, that I think um, if you look carefully and you have some confidence to kind of think something that conventional wisdom would say is crazy, you often can make really good predictions. You also will make some very hilariously bad predictions. Um, people in the sixties, they could have predicted today almost certainly would have predicted that we have a moon base, you know, mm. people on many different planets, you know, all kinds of cool. Cause we just started going to space. They would have been unbelievably disappointed um, and shocked by the fact that it stopped entirely, just stopped. It would be like if, you know, you went in the future and the iPhones were, you know, 30 years and they were almost identical to how they are now. It would be so shocking. Right. You know, I always think if I went into a time machine, went to the future, the first thing I would say is show me the phones. That's the thing I'd be most excited about. Um, but do you think there'll be phones if you're looking at like a hundred thousand years from now? Oh no, no. I'm not even sure there'll be phones in 30 years because I mm. think um, I do think brain machine interfaces are going to replace phones. Um, I think, look, there'll always be you know, 30 years is close enough that, that there will be plenty of people who, even if the technology is there, they won't, adapt, they won't, uh, adopt it um, because they will be um, uh, they, they, they won't ever want to put something in, into their skull um, and they, and they, or they'll just be, maybe our generation will be the old people who are just don't know how to use it. We're not good at it. We don't, we're uncomfortable with it. Right. Just like a lot of old people today might be uncomfortable with a computer um, yeah. or wearing, you know, I imagine if I bought, you know, AirPods for my 95 year old grandmother, I mean, a, she can't hear, but even if she could hear uh, well, um, She's just not going to use them. It's it, what I don't know what that is. Yeah. You know, you know, it's just you know, they have to connect to the Bluetooth. Forget right. So some people, you know, I don't know whether it's us or maybe people um, in their fifties right now or sixties right now. Some people, when brain machine interfaces become a major thing, will be like that. It'll just be I don't know how to use this thing. I don't want it. I'm uncomfortable, scared of it. Um. So, but maybe in 60 years now, those people have died off. And what you have left is people who grew up in a world where this thing was normal. And, 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 right. um, um, and so once you have brain machine interfaces here, you know, it, I, I still think maybe you know, I, I, the question is whether there's no need for a phone or whether there's actually like a really good need for a phone. It's just that this device works with it. Um, so uh, for example, like if you wanted to play music, right now on Spotify, you could send it to a speaker. You could send it to your AirPods. You could send it to the computer. You could put it up, you can send it right out of your, have it play right out of your phone, right? Well, there'll be a fifth option, play it right directly in your head. And, and that means there's no sound happening. Cause what is sound? Sounds a vibration that stimulates your auditory cortex nerves um, in a way that makes your brain perceive that the sound, right? You're not actually hearing the sound, right? The, 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 the sound is creating pressure waves in the air that your brain is interpreting as sound. 
So you don't need the sound itself. You can just stimulate the auditory cortex nerves in the same way sound would. Um, you hear music. You can turn it up, turn it down. Now there's all kinds of things you can do. You know, you can, you can, so you can play it right into your head. No more headphones. Something is playing. You don't have any headphones in. You might be hearing blasting music that no one else hears, right? But it's in your head. You can turn it down. So again, even that, this is one of the, the, the simplest examples that I use. And still it scares people. People say, not, not, no way. I don't like it. Right. Because we are the old people who are unco uncomfortable. People who are born right now, they're not going to think it's weird. They're going to think it's obvious and awesome and cool. And, and they're yeah. going to be so excited to go get Neuralink, you know, 12.0 just came out, you know, Neuralink 12. I, I, I have the eight still in my head. I want to go get the 12. I, I waited to upgrade, but I'm going to go get 12. So you go into two hours for a two hour appointment and it's like a LASIKs appointment or a dentist appointment. And you, you, you put your head back. Don't, they don't even knock you out. Little local anesthesia. They take out a little, they, they, they have, you have a little hole in your skull, a little like the size of a dime where this thing has been slotted in to replace bone. And that, that's the computer. And then uh, the machine puts the actual individual tiny little electrodes into different places. Sounds again, scary, but so did organ transplant sounded terrifying yeah. to people who didn't know. So they open that up and the machine just goes, duh, 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 duh. you're reading a book, you're watching a movie, duh, 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 finishes it, puts the new thing back in, seals up the skin, does a little stitches. You know, you might be sore for a few days um, and, you know, have a little bit of a hair, a little bit of a hair bald spot for a few days, whatever. Um, and probably, probably soon enough, they won't even need to shave any hair. Anyway, and you do that and you leave. And you're done. And you, you know, you, I was saying you text people, but however you're getting in contact and you'd say, Hey, you know, like I all set, got the 12 and they're like, okay, you can finally like, you know, send thought emojis to us, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever the yeah, thing yeah. is again, I'm, this is, there's a cartoon, there's a commercial from the sixties where they show someone being like, here's what the future will look like with computers. So I, I said they would overestimate space. They would underestimate computers. They, 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 it was this room of huge screens and these big, you know, physical things and, you could watch a different thing. You could do a different program on each screen. But of course, the iPhone, those are your apps in your pocket. It's way cooler than that. Mm -hmm. So what I'm just anything I'm describing with this, with such a new thing, is almost certainly going to be like that. I'm describing the big room of screens, right? Whatever it actually is, is going to be so much cooler, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. Again, maybe or maybe it goes the direction of space and maybe nothing happens. That's the thing. We don't know, but we can take guesses. Did 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 Elon mention anything about the cost of what this would? Because obviously, one of his missions is make this more uh, into a mass product that anyone can afford. And you know, Lasix is probably not something that a lot of people can afford in developing nations. And Moran Surf, who I know you mentioned as well, he's been on the podcast. He talks about this divide of superhumans versus humans, where it'll be similar to the way we look at. I guess apes in some ways, where it just the the, the knowledge eventually gets so diverse and, and the, the gap is too big, where the people that aren't going to be getting access to something like Neuralink, it, they're just going to be so far behind. But the cost is probably the biggest thing. But what are your opinions around that? And well, I, I spent um, I spent a couple of weeks in Nigeria a couple of years ago to write about Nigeria, and and then I went to other places and wrote about them. Um, and while I was there, I spent the week with a family um, uh, and we went out, you know, and visited her mom in this little village um, and they were very poor, you know, um, 
you know, he asked, I said, can I, can I bring a gift? Can I bring something? And he said, well, if you brought her rice, she'd be so happy. So we went and stopped at the place and this big bag of rice. And it was like maybe 50 bucks, you know, a huge bag. Like, and I, and I brought her that. And he said that that's six months of food and like the big, the greatest gift she's ever received. And I was like $50. Right. I mean, different world, right. Just different world. She's, I was actually, actually trying to understand the economics and, you know, um, her rent is about five bucks a month. Um, which, you know, and, and the son's rent in, in, in Lagos, which is a much more, um, you know, much more developed place and, um, is $50 a month. Right. So just a different set of economics. And yet all the kids had a smartphone. Huh? They all had a smartphone. Um, and it wasn't an iPhone, but it was a perfectly good smartphone. They had apps. They're showing me videos. They're on the internet. They're set they're, they're exchanging phone numbers. They text, we, 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 we WhatsApp today still. So to me, I think now, now, but go back to 2008 to 2007. They, of course they don't have a smartphone. Smartphones are for really rich Americans and Europeans. If you know, if, if it's, if it's there yet, really rich people, um, you know, and, uh, and then it goes to Asia. Okay. Now it's for really rich Asians too. Right. And, and then, it, and then it, eventually it goes to places now it's for really rich people all over the world. Uh, then it becomes for middle-class people all over the world. And eventually, you know, by the way, another time I was in Myanmar and um, we meet a bunch of monks and what do they have with them? They have their robe, their bowl, and their smartphone. Those are their objects they own. This is a theme. It's everyone, I've, everyone everywhere who wants one, you know, yeah, maybe older people, don't know, but anyone who wants one, it's smart. A lot of them, a lot of the smartphones are now free with a really cheap plan. So the point is, I mean, maybe Moran, you know, might know more than I do. He probably does. But to me, I see this as something that starts off now. Now, now you think, oh, you're putting something in your brain. You need surgery. This is going to be for like, not just rich people, but like people who have like $10 million, like really rich people. Yeah. Actually, the, the point of Neuralink is that on day one, it's, it's an appointment you could do for a couple hours um, that doesn't cost too much, a couple thousand dollars, right? And comparatively. Um, but they also think this is something eventually can be covered by insurance. They also think eventually this could be something that comes down and down and down in price until um, we get so good at the tech. Again, smartphones, we got so good at the technology, we learn how to make it for dirt cheap. And yeah. so I don't know, maybe this is different, but I, I, I have a feeling if this is important enough, there might be an awkward transition time when some people have it and some people don't. But my view is also that by the time it's doing something where it's like the people who have it, they can think with AI, they have a, they have a different level of intelligence. That's, that's far away. Mm. I think that first it's stuff like I can play sound right into my head. Wow, I can like have a picture of a dress in my head. I'm a dress, I'm a dress designer. I can just beam it up to the screen to show people, right? Cool things like that, but it's not like we're a different kind of species. No, right. just some cool, like, like, like an iPhone is cool and helps you with productivity and is, is really fun and useful, but it doesn't change your, who you are. I think by the time it's changing who you are, I think that we've solved the problem. And I think that anyone in the world who wants one can get one. Right, right. I mean, the, the, the kind of go back to the point about Nigeria and, and Myanmar is the idea that like initially smartphones was such an expensive product. And by the time, whether there's a, a five-year gap or a 10-year gap of no one really being able to afford it in developing nations, that it be, just became so cheap that they just skipped the desktop completely. And they just went right into 
having right. a mobile phone. Is that that's kind of the idea with new? They also talk well. about another thing is you know like so, these solar units that are getting you know there's this is a, somewhat unrelated but it's the same point is that it's the idea of like there's places that don't have electricity like in rural Africa for example like this mother didn't have electricity that I, I visited. But what she might have before she ever has wired electricity is these independent solar units that can that um, there's a lot of um, nonprofits working on stuff like this that can be distributed in a, in a way that um, can create a sustainable industry where in, in these places where um, uh, anyone can end up affording these units that they collect solar power during the day and um, and they have Internet, too. So it's a combo. It's like that. This is. Um, uh, a solar unit that also as as a Wi-Fi unit, and so at least for a good portion of the day, with nothing, no wires anywhere, um, you have electricity and Wi-Fi, and that could leapfrog wires. They'll maybe never have a normal, uh, normal, uh, normal a, a grid, right? Right. And so right. likewise, um, a lot of these things so leapfrog. Right. There might be people with brain machine interfaces. Like if we talk about this industry, there might be people with the really, really advanced brain machine interfaces we're talking about, the ones that are really big deal um, that never got the the first kinds in the first place. You know, I don't know. Right, right. It's almost like, I don't even know if, I don't know how this would relate to VR. It's almost like VR would be kind of this next step where we have something in our heads that can, you know. That VR to me is, is a hybrid. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. something where you're starting to, it's, um, you know, look, Elon talks about how he's told me I am a cyborg. And I'm like, well, I, I I have a thing that is that makes me like it. So he's like, no, you are a cyborg. And his point is, I'm right now, I am talking to someone in Brazil. Only a cyborg, a human can't do that. Only a cyborg right. can do that. I can get, if I want information, I can, I can call it up with nothing. Nothing's attached to me. I can call up information from anywhere and uh, immediately have it. I'm a cyborg, right? I can, I can, um, but the, the only thing is that this is outside my skin. If this were inside my skin, right? And I could just do these things with nothing. You'd say, yes, that is a cyborg, right? So the, mm. who cares what side of the skin it's on? And so um, I think that the, the VR is getting closer. We're still outside the skin, right? It's like uh, across your eyes and ears. Um, but you're, you're living in a different world, right? You're in a different world or you see stuff in your world that's not there. And eventually we can start socializing that way. This technology is moving quickly. And I think all of this converges into the brain machine interface when that's the final frontier. It goes yeah. into, your, it goes to the other side of the skin. And now if, what does VR do, right? It changes what you see and it changes what you hear. Well, we already talked about the brain machine interface can make an audio, you make your audio cortex think it's hearing sound. And of course, it can make your retina think it's seeing things. So it can go into your uh, um, occipital cortex. It's been so long. Um, you can go into your visual cortex and uh, and it can make, it can project images onto directly into that that aren't actually being seen with your eyes that now you you feel like you're seeing. You don't actually, your eyes are just cameras. That's one way to, to capture something into your uh, visual cortex. But so yeah. the point is, why you know that the, we'll look back? I think we'll look back on this era is the devices era. Oh, we had the things in our head, and we think the things in our ears, the headphones, and we had the things in our hand, the phones, and our screens in front of us, and that was all we needed. These devices, we were like low grade cyborgs, but the stuff was outside. And eventually, this yeah. one little disc goes into your brain, and that's it. And of course, that's also your wallet, and that's also your 
you know, you know, no more carrying stuff, keys. And I mean, we're already past carrying. Most people don't need to carry things other than their phone now, but yeah, or at least I'll, I still have keys for my old ass door, but, but basically, you know, we're, yeah, I think, I think that that's the, uh, the ultimate frontier for all this stuff to the point where we'll look back and say, oh, we were such, um, clunky low-grade cyborgs back in the 21st or first half of the 21st century you know yeah the more the more i think about it the more i feel like vr could be the desktop of how you know countries like in developing countries look at mobile phones like we may be able to afford vr in western world but it might be just they just skip vr completely and go straight to leapfrog you know leapfrog into it leapfrog to that because the point is the smartphone isn't just Oh, it's just, it's smartphone is, has so many uses that when it gets cheap, it makes sense for everyone to get one. VR might be, if it's just for fun or if it becomes for maybe for productivity, it might still be excessive for people that can't afford very much. But when the brain machine interface gets good enough, it'll be as, as important as a smartphone or more to everyone to have, yeah. you know? And so um, it will... Um, and so, yeah, so I, I can see that being the kind of thing that people get who wouldn't have gotten the more excessive, maybe seeming VR headset. And how does this relate to languages? I mean, I'm just going to kind of pull this up that uh, one of the things that you also talked about in the Neuralink post, which is like, you know, smartphones, as you mentioned, with Elon Musk, that we're technically cyborgs, it's just outside of our skin, but we're still using languages to communicate with other people on WhatsApp or Facebook, or, you know, you and I are still using English, let's say, as a language to be able to communicate with people. Did Elon Musk, or did you ever like have any thoughts in terms of where languages is even going to go when it comes to the future of Neuralink and whether it's going to be a completely different language or are we still just going to be using English or, or Chinese or a sort of Mandarin or, you know, French to be able to communicate. It's just going to be a lot faster because you're not needing to, um, you know, type anything or you don't need to do that in, in person. It's just going to be kind of one person to the, to the other. Yeah. So this is one of the like things that's going to be very hard for people in our era to, imagine but yeah and this is something we, I, I talked to elon about a bunch about like his he makes the point that language is very low res it's very lossy so if I, I the example i use is if you went to um a horror movie and someone asked you how it was you could say it was terrifying or it was scary or or maybe you don't like it and you think it was you think it was dumb or cheesy okay what you actually thought you know because you could see 50 movies and describe you know that you might describe as cheesy or 50 movies you might describe as terrifying but they're all you had a completely you know nuanced different experience in each one of them right and so when someone asked you how the movie was you really have your you have like three or four buckets you know, and maybe you describe it a little bit more. So maybe, maybe instead of having, you know, four big buckets for those four words, maybe you, if you, if you actually want to talk more about it, which takes time, now you have maybe, you know, 20 little buckets. You can kind of get a little more nuanced for your particular reaction. But really to do it right, you'd have to have 10,000 thimble sized buckets for each one is a very specific set of emotions that you are feeling. And language, what, what we do, because we don't want to spend all day talking about it, and it, we just will use one of the big buckets. We'll say, oh, you got to see the movie. No, it's terrifying. Okay. Um, and 
So what's happening is that nuance, well, however many megabytes of data that nuance is, or kilobytes probably, uh, that is going into something that is, you know, one word, one bucket. And, and so in that, so now what I do is I'm actually handing someone the bucket that says terrifying on it. And they have to look in there and they know all the different things that could have been put in there to match that. And they have to guess what it might be. That's it. Based on how well they know me or what they'll probably do is, is assume the kind of thing that they put in there, they'll assume that that's what I'm talking about. Right, and that's, right. that's really lossy. That's really lossy and it's slow, right? So if I wanted to get more info across, if I wanted to get, instead of, I don't know how big it would actually be, if instead of one kilobyte of info across, I mean, I, I'm sure it would be one byte for a, a word, maybe. Instead of uh, getting one byte of info across, I wanted to get 10 kilobytes across. That I might have to sit there and talk about the movie for seven hours with you, right? So think about that. If I wanted to get seven, 10 kilobytes out of my head, I'd have to talk to you for seven hours. And again, I, I'm probably hugely overestimating what seven hours of talking would take up, but just as an example. So that's really slow. Um, and that's an awful data download situation. So what happens is we end up with really unnuanced conversations. The thoughts in my head don't really get, are not really great at getting into your head and vice versa. Yeah. And in conversations, we're going really slowly, really slow data download, really lossy, really low res. It's a bad system. So language is an incredible system if you, if you, take what, if you compare it to what became before it, which was no language, no communication. The thoughts in your head are isolated into your head. Right? They're quarantined in there. Language is this magical thing. I can get a thought through the air, through air pressure waves. I can create pressure waves. I can, I can encode the thought as pressure waves in my vocal cords. Send out some pressure waves that have a thought encoded into them. They go into your ear. They vibrate your eardrum. Your, audio, your auditory cortex interprets them. Uh, here, hears them, and then gets interpreted as a thought. So that's magical. But Elon's point is that, well, that's cool, but it's 100,000-year-old technology. Think about, you know, uh, I have another example in this post. If you brought a caveman here, how unbelievably blown away he'd be by everything. But, he'd right. be, you know, if you were just in a field having a chat with him, he'd say, well, how do you do this? How do you? And you say, well, do we just do this? He says, well, that's what we do. Right. Uh, you, you're, still do you're still doing this is what you write. This would be the one thing yeah. you'd be like, you haven't advanced at all here, given everything else is airplanes up there, but you're still just talking to me. So... The, the bigger point here is that a lot of times the not only is it lossy, these low res, this low res thing called language, but it actually we start thinking in that language. It actually makes our thoughts slower and more new and less nuanced. Um, and we, we're, not, we're none of us are in practice with communicating much more nuanced thoughts. So we think in words, we talk in words. So if we, if you and I both had a brain machine interface, we wouldn't, you know, maybe at first, the really low, the, the very first versions for the people who were not trained with them, we would be just, I'd literally be thinking a thought and you would hear it in your head, something like that. Or I would mm. even, even simpler, I'd think words and you'd see them printed or something in front of your eyes. I don't know, something really low grade. Eventually, you would still be thinking in English, right? If you were to, a person at, that thought in first, English. At first, because I only speak English. So it, the people who start with this, they'll be really, really, really bad at it. Mm. But the idea eventually, I think, is you can get to a point when um, we are thinking, you know, if, if you're watching a movie, you know, even though I just said you're thinking in words, you're not always thinking in words. And, 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 you know, when you're thinking fast, if you're watching a movie, you're not thinking, you don't have a running 
dialogue in your head the whole time. Oh, that's cool. Oh, um, uh, I wonder what she's going to do. I wonder, oh, oh, that he's saying that you're not doing that, right? You're just watching and it's, it's much more, something's happening, but it's, it's not really words. The idea is that whatever is that kind of thing is what you can just think to someone else. And you guys can be giggling together about something that no one, no words have been expressed, but you both are expressing the, the, the thing, you know, the emotion is being expressed and the reason for the emotion being expressed. So again, this is the kind of thing that, I can almost guarantee that people from the future, if they watch this podcast, they'll, they'll laugh thinking, okay, he, he, he knew something big was coming, but he was really bad at understanding. He wasn't what it was. sure. And exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so if you see here, it's like the, the idea is eventually yeah, we we go, we're cutting out. So, so yeah, for, first, if you see here in this chart here, we go from first, it's just, you know, your brain quarantine. And then we have language. So you have, well, like I described, then the red, that's the blue is language. The red is now language plus the cyborg abilities. So now we're really communicating. And eventually we cut out all of that with a brain machine interface and we just communicate. Well, it'll be fast. It'll be much faster way to communicate and to brainstorm. Mm-hmm. And when you brainstorm, it's kind of like you can, if three people are brainstorming and they're doing it well, they can form like a super brain that's smarter than any of the three of them. And so the idea is if we can all think together, we really can form a super brain. You can have a bunch of people thinking together and, and solve problems that no human could solve on their own. Now, the thing that's all fun and that's cool. But the reason Elon's doing this is because he wants us to be able to think with AI also. So with each other, but also we're thinking, you know, picture this as uh, some, some Siri of the far future. And it's just like another voice in our brain. You know, you've got your limbic system arguing with your prefrontal cortex about whether you should eat that brownie or not. That's not two systems talking. It's just you feel like you're torn, right? You don't know. Ah, mm. I just want, ah, no, I shouldn't, you know, right? But there's two systems arguing is what's going on. So Elon thinks that the, 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 the Siri of the far future will become a third system. It won't feel like you're communicating with a third thing. It'll be your thinking. In you. And so now wow. there's a, you can actually think with fascinating you you are siri that's the thing that's the thing siri is now because siri is in your head it's just like you have your limbic system your prefrontal cortex and you have your your super advanced ai and all three of them are now one big system inside your head and you are you have ai and you and and right now the best way we can communicate with ai is with our voice or with texting with two thumbs it's super low bandwidth yeah brain machine interfaces once we get good at this and it may be, maybe it's the people born now maybe it's the people born 20 years from now that really are good at it but when they're good at it, they will be AI. They will be able to uh, think with AI. They'll have AI capabilities. And that's when he thinks when everyone has AI, uh, or a lot of people, many people have AI in their heads. It's hard for AI itself to get out of control and hurt us because we're all armed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says, you know, I, he, he preferred that there's no Superman on the planet. But if you're going to have one Superman, you want to have a billion Superman. Because mm-hmm. that now, you know, one, one is scary. If only these big companies have access to AI or one certain person or the AI itself gets out of control, that's scary. But if, if, if we're just armed with it and now AI is not really, it's met its match all over the place, he thinks that's a safer future. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing you touched on communication is so fascinating, right? Because there's like layers of how much you can read on someone and miscommunication is like the, you know, the age old story of how people communicate in relationships and, you know, business, whatever. And like texting is like probably the most menial thing where you don't really know, like someone says they're okay or someone says they're terrified, like without a punctuation, you might be a different thing or emoji, it's a different thing. And then 
audio, you can tell by the voice tone. Video, we can kind of tell by being here. But with something like Neuralink, I imagine the biometrics could also be involved where if someone is communicating something to you just by how fast their heartbeat is beating or maybe how, how much they're sweating or whatever it might be that's happening around their body, like that's something that could be communicated along with yeah, I mean, just look, look, a message. So how about you go to the doctor and instead of them touching your wrist and, you know, if you hurt your wrist, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? They yeah. can just immediately feel what you're feeling. They can say, oh, okay. Right. How about your emotion? You're trying to communicate with your partner and you let them feel the emotion in you and you can, you know, and they can say, you know, oh my God, like that's what your depression feels like. Oh, I understand it so much better now. Mm. Right. You go to a therapist and they can, okay, well, they, they, therapists can say, okay, let, let me tap into what you're feeling. And they can tap in while they're talking to you and they can say, they can come back out and say, oh, wow. Okay. So look, here's what I think is going on. Right. I mean, there, you can actually, an emotion is just something magical about an emotion. It yeah. is a phys- physiological process that's going on. Um, and with the physiological process, just like sound doesn't have to actually have chemicals, just like sound. You don't need actual sound in the air to make your brain think there's sound. You don't need actual chemicals going through your brain to make your, that the brain experience what it would be, what it would be experiencing if there were. So someone else could, the brain machine interface electrodes stimulate neurons in a way that mimic the emotional experience I'm having. And then they can turn it right off. And by the way, of course, now this gets to, we can start to help control our own emotions. If I'm feeling, I can, you know, right now on my phone, I have a you know, we have a, if it's a certain, if it gets too loud, I can set a, a sound limit on my phone to protect my hearing, yeah. right? Don't go above this sound. You can start to be like, don't go above this anger level. So I go on my phone, I open the emotions mm. app. And I go to anger and wow. I say, cap it here, cap it here, or um, uh, cap my hunger here right now. Or, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going out to a really good dinner tonight. Let's get really hungry, right? right, right. Um, th- this, uh, again, this all sounds nuts. And again, so many people, this is, you know, we talk about progressive and conservative it doesn't just apply to politics. If you want to know who's progressive and conservative in other ways, see how they react to this. Some people are super excited. Mm. They're saying, this is amazing. It's going to be, it's confusing, but I want to get, get me in there. And other people are saying, what? Never, no way. I don't, I don't like it. They're, that's a conservative impulse, right? So um, you, you, I, I noticed just by talking to people, you hear all kinds of different reactions. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with either of those impulses. There, this is a totally new, scary thing, but it's just interesting. Uh, you learn something about yourself with how you react to something mind-blowing like this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not right or wrong, but I mean, I would imagine with how powerful something like this could be, like the people that really knew how to use the internet and Google or even just the latest social media, whatever it is that we want to be adopting that has high potential to be useful, those people are generally the ones that are going to get ahead. And I imagine the people that are going to be more progressive are the ones that are going to be more excited about this. They're going to take advantage Probably of the opportunity. Early adopters and the, not even early, but just the people who can uh, adapt to n- n- very quickly changing things, which gets harder as you get older. That's why young people will have an advantage. That's what they always do with technology. But I know some 75 year olds who are unbelievable at technology, right? Because right. It's, it's mostly an attitude thing. If you're curious and excited about it, you'll never get bad at it. It's when you start checking out and you, you know, so you, it takes more effort maybe to stay, you know, a 10 year old is going to be great at any technology that comes into her hands because we're just, uh, we are, 
uh, at that age, very plastic and very um, adaptable. And as we get older, you, you, you know, it gets harder. It's like a, training a dog, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think it's going to be an, a, a bigger and bigger advantage. It's going to be a more and more important skill to have to not be outdated with technology. You know, maybe 50 years ago, okay, that the old person doesn't, I don't know how to turn on the TV. Big deal, right? I mean, today it's like, well, the people who are the old people who are good with tech are probably in closer touch with their family. They FaceTime and stuff, right? And maybe they um they they're enjoying their iPad. And that's actually they can they can listen to audiobooks when they're, you know, when when their site goes or whatever. It's actually a bigger deal. Um I think it's going to be become a bigger and bigger crutch to be like a, a, an anti, either an anti-tech person, someone who doesn't like new tech, a Luddite type. You know, my sister's like this. She, she was, you know, can't stand the iPhone smartphones until, of course, eventually she gets one. You know, she's always does it. She just does it like eight years late with a bunch of resistance. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it's um, those people, I think they're going to, they'll be fine. And, and getting ahead isn't everything. And some people, they'll just won't care. Sure. Like I'm not going to be, uh, an, I'm not going to be a, an entrepreneur in this very particular kind of world because I'm just, I don't know how to sure. use the thing, but I think it's a good time to maybe kind of reflect on how you feel about future tech and, and understand it's coming, whether you like it or not. And um, maybe try to see the best in it because it's not that it's necessarily great. It might be really bad. It might be a disaster, but it's coming. And so let's try to, engage with it, you know, and it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a, in relation somewhat, but, you know, just kind of bring it back to more day-to-day uh, -day lifestyle for people and more in the present. How do you view work-life balance and in relation to technology and where all of these things are going? I think Naval Ravikant talks about like the, the, the three more scalable things are, are used to be people and it used to be capital, but now it's software and, 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 you know, media being one of them as well, where there's just so much leverage that we have for being able to do more things with less time uh, through automation and so forth. You know, where's your stance in terms of work-life balance and just the idea of a 40-hour work week, you know, whether it's now or, or in the next 30 to 50 years, what's your kind of stance on it? And, you know, I think there were a little bit about like that it's work-life balance is ultimately important to be happy and that someone that is working like a hundred hour work weeks um, like Elon Musk, it's kind of difficult. It seems to be, to achieve both happiness and being able to fulfill the number one objective in your life, which could be your career. What's kind of your stance on that? It's like a two-part question, I guess. Yeah, I think um, I, I do think that a, pet, a pendulum has swung pretty far to work in that, partially because the just booming tech and so much financial opportunity, um, and um, I think America, at least, is a place of um, uh, where achievement is a core value, right? So prestigious to, um, to achieve a lot. Right. And, and so, um, I think it's, it's not the wisest thing to have the pendulum swing that far in that direction. I think that there's a, there's a missing wisdom that I think is, will come. I, I do, I, I don't know whether it's quite happening yet, but my a prediction would be that if you went 10 years into the future, 15 years, 
it becomes a sign of fanciness, a sign of prestige to work 30 hours a week, 20 hours a week. Um, and that working really, you know, working a hundred hours is just a kind of a thing of the past. Some people will still, but the society won't like smile upon them. Now, if you're Elon and you're changing the world, that's just a different scenario. But, you know, if you're just working, you know, busting your ass at a, at a finance job, I think that that will kind of seem, um, I don't know. I don't think it'll seem as cool as it does now. I think it'll seem pretty uncool. I think, um, yeah, I, I think that we have stopped valuing like fun. I really think there's something to that. Like, someone who just, you know, they work all the time, like that's supposed to be this good thing. And I think that that's not very wise. And so I, it's not, you know, it, it, the most cliche thing is no one, you know, on their deathbed, which they spent more time in the office, but that's cliche because it's true. Right. So I think what'll start to be valued is like a few things, not also like living closer together, like commune type things, not like a, you know, creepy political sense, but just like people moving to neighborhoods with people or just even moving to the same city with their friends and family will become much right now. It's just like you go work takes you where it takes you. That's number one, two, and three. Yeah. Now, once you're there, if you happen to be far away from your family and friends, then so be it, right? You go visit them. I don't think that's very wise. I think it'll start to be like um, the fanciest people. And, and, you know, and then what's fancy usually trickles to everyone, you know, you know, it's uh, um, I think what it'll be is that, that uh, the, the fanciest people in 15 years are working 20 hours a week, living on the same block as a bunch of people they know. Mm-hmm. And having a lot of fun, maybe doing fun drugs a lot. Um, and, you know, the advanced ones that, you, you know, you know, you don't get addicted to, but it's healthy. And um, and having really fun, you know, spaces, outdoor spaces to hang out in and all kinds of hobbies. These are right now, almost no one, the, the fanciest people I know, they do this stuff often the least because they're so busy. Right. And so I think that that's gonna, my guess is that in 15 years that becomes a thing and and it should, doesn't that sound great? What I just described living on a block yeah, with a bunch of friends and family amazing. working 20 hours a week, having really fun recreation, having really fun outdoor spaces and cool indoor spaces. And um, this sounds fantastic. Right. And, and um, the, the fact is the world is getting to the place where we, uh, you know, a lot of people can pull off working 20 hours a week and getting by. Now, maybe we, you know, maybe this also comes along with the world with a universal basic income type thing. I don't know. I haven't thought about that topic enough yet. So I think it'll become a sign of prestige eventually to not work that hard. And I think that'll become a, a broad value. And then you'll have a whole new political debate about, you know, oh, now it'll become this thing where it's like, oh, the the privileged people don't work that hard, you know, so that'll be right now. It's actually surprising. That's not the case right now. It's like, the privileged people work really hard and that's somehow like, I don't know, it doesn't make much sense actually. So that's one prediction. It's ironic. The yeah. Balance, the work-life balance will pendulum is will swing way back the other way. Right. Right. It's ironic I hope, because I like, hope the it pe- does. I hope it does for everyone. I mean, I, I it sounds great. Yeah. That's, you know, if we're building this world of intense productivity, um, not just not human, but like AI, unbelievable AI capabilities, it's such a failure. If, we don't use that to work less hard. If we use that to, um, you know, it, it should be like, I don't know how it happens. You know, again, it's a political nightmare, but I don't know how, if, if, if we're building a world where, you know, truck, trucks are automated and uh, all this other stuff that used to take people is not like, it should definitely turn into a world where, oh, now it's great that most people can afford a middle, a middle-class, like solid lifestyle, um, working 20 hours a week, you know, um, and having a lot of fun. Like, I don't know how we do it. Um, 
it's again we're talking like political nightmare here because this is going to be something where everyone has an infuriating like like bad opinion about it but it's gotta be um i don't know it, it would be such a it's such a wiser species thing to do mm-hmm. to have a world where now you know we, we built all this cool technology it's working for us like everyone you know and again you can quickly get into this world and you start to get into like communist utopia idea which is always a hideous dystopia yeah. so it, it, it's i don't know how you you mesh human incentives uh and freedom with something that achieves this but i i feel like there's got to be some way i don't know yeah it's it's honestly it, it is a never-ending discussion like we had andrew yang on he talks about like healthcare becoming one of the biggest expenses with uh in, in america and probably in other parts around the world as well and it's hardly partly because of the people that are being overworked, they're super stressed. And the fact that if we can figure out a way politically, whether it's UBI, you know, I, I don't know what your stance is on that, but figuring out a way where people can work less, be less stressful, ultimately the, the, the expenses could reduce a little bit. I don't know if it evens out particularly uh, for what the cost would be to be able to provide something like a UBI. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the world that hopefully... We can we can see it. it just it's curious to know like how people would spend their time ultimately if they're well yeah that's the thing is that right now a lot of people find meaning with work we, work is meaning and work is a distraction from like maybe yeah. their existential depression or whatever but I also think that is a sign of we're not that we're not that psychologically mature right now I think that mm. my goal is that my my hope is that um like that that in Toward people in 30 years, 40 years, they look back to this time and they, A, um, see the like huge work weeks as just like oppressive and crazy. And that people are, you know, very common to work five hours, four days a week. You know, you work from nine to one, you know, nine to one um, or, you know, something like that. Nine to two, Monday through Thursday, you know, and that's, that's a, um, that's a very standard work week. And Secondly, that outside of with all that time, it becomes like this old school idea that, oh, yeah, I had to you, you, you think people, you know, it's I always think that like, um, uh, well, it's too much of a diversion, but basically like that, uh, that the, the concept of work being what we find the meaning is because what we ha- that's what we happen to do. That's the world we've built. We've been so focused on work that we haven't had time to develop meaning, to develop other things that give us that meaning. So I think hobbies can become like this really whole like hobby economy that becomes really like passionate Mm. and a big deal, you know? And again, when you're living on the block with a bunch of people, that's much more like a village that humans used to live in. Maybe, you know, right now we're living in these isolated houses, um, but maybe it's much more of this kind of communities, a lot more community and a lot more fun. And um. I think that 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 uh, they, they, they the people then I, I doubt they'll look back and say, man, I wish we could go back to the days when everyone was working much harder, much more isolated, um, because they had that work to distract them from. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? That's clearly a better situation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorite things to do is like look at the regrets of people that are under under deathbed. There's like tons of YouTube videos on it that just went super viral. Like you get you ask for advice for people that are 90 years and over, and like what are the biggest regrets in life? And there's a common theme, which is like they didn't spend enough time with their family. They didn't, you know, reach out to that person and told them that they love them, or they didn't spend enough time with their friends. That, you know, they just didn't really 
spend enough. It just comes down to relationships and people. And it, it kind of gets me thinking about your, your, your blog posts around, um, your life in weeks, which will just kind of pull up. And it's, it's, it's such a fascinating point you made where like the people that you, you live around, you're probably going to see them 10 times more uh, than really anyone else. And you can just kind of, I don't know if this is the best graph to kind of illustrate, but this is particularly what really resonated with me in, 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 a, in a high level view. Is there a better one here, Tim, that we could um, pull over? Is this, is this a pretty good? Well, if you go to, um, if, you, if you go to the post, the tail end, there's a similar graph that I think gets at that point a little bit better. Okay. Um, if you just Google like tail at tail end, wait, but why? Oh yeah, go. that works too. Um, okay. So if you just go down like to the, towards the bottom, um, there's a Super Bowl. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> okay, this is the bottom. There's Thanks. a graph. There's a graph with like a bunch of people crossed out. Um, yeah, this is this is what I was referring to. Uh, I guess it was the wrong post, but it's 10 times the people that you have left. If you're in the last 10% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the, here's the big point is that, um, that we think of relationships as we think of the length of relationships in relation to years, like total years you're going to have with people. So someone who's 30, whose parents are 60, they might think, Oh, wow. I, you know, hopefully my parents live, you know, a long life. And I still have a third, I still have half of my time with my parents. Hopefully they're alive when I'm 60. And if so, then I I'm, you know, I've lived half of my time with my parents and I have another half left, but you spend every day with your parents um, when you were really young. Um, and if you actually count the actual hours you've spent with them, not existing in a world where they also exist, uh, what you end up with is a much more depressing situation where uh, if you lived with them for uh, 18 years and then you stopped living with them, for example, um, you have, you know, I, I did this math and I was like, wow, I probably used up 95% of my parent time, even though, and this is if I'm lucky, if my parents live really long, if I'm one of the really lucky people that has both parents alive when I'm 60, that's a one, you're one of the luckiest people, right? I've still used up 95% of my time with them. Unless, because I live in a different city, I see them 10 days a year, right? That's one thirtieth, one thirty-sixth of the days I saw them when I was young. So I'd have to do 36 years at this rate to get as much parent time as I did at the age of 17. 36 years now. And so if I have just say those 36 years left, which again, that's at this point, you know, it would be over-optimistic. I probably have half of that or a little bit more. We're talking about, um, uh, half a year, six months, eight months of my 17 year old life, which I just, that was just a, you know, that's how much total parent time I left, which means now, unless, yeah. unless I moved to the city where they, they live, instead of seeing them 10 days a year, I saw them on the weekend all the time. I started seeing them 50 days a year, just say. And if you see them 50, you know, some people see their parents, you know, if they live on the same block, they see them 
half the days they, you know, they'll drop by, they have them over for dinner, you know, so it depends on what you want and your relationships and um, you know, what you want from them. But the point is this is a choice. And so if you start seeing your parents, uh, um, you know, I don't know, instead of uh, 10 days a year, 50 years, 10 days a year, you have five times the parent time left. Right. And so you mm. apply this to your friends, you can apply it to your kids, you can apply it to your spouse. Um, your spouse is an easier one because you're with them, but again, quality time. If you're, if you're making, you know, one quality hour a week when you, when you, you have something fun and then the rest of the time you're kind of both going about your business, that's a lot less spouse time than if you're doing two hours a day. Right. And so, um, it's, it, it makes you realize that the time you have left with people is not about years nearly as much as it's about priorities and decisions. Um, so I think that, yeah, I do think that's an, a pretty sad, but important. I mean, I like that. I would like making people sad with this because it encourages action. I've gotten emails from people that said yeah. that they moved cities after reading this post. And that's amazing. Wow. That's the greatest impact a post could have. If I help that person, multiply their remaining parent time by five. That's the that's a huge impact. greatest impact I can imagine a post having. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I guess the, one of the things that excites me about global work culture is that people can start to do that now. If they were to make a decision and say, okay, these are the people I want to spend time with. These are, you know, my family members that I want to be able to have more quality time with. Like it's possible now more than ever. So we're headed to the right direction, but I think your post really illustrates for people like, this is, you don't have a lot of time left ultimately, right? Like Jesse Itzler, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, he has a, uh, a countdown to when he's going to die based on the average span of a human being. And he has like on his desktop and just counts down to the point where like every by second, like these, this is when I'm about to die. I like, it. And it's I like, like <laughs> that because I like things like this because it, 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 there's a really bad delusion. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a happy delusion, the delusion that we have unlimited time, you know, I like to draw that weeks thing that you showed before, because it's um, it's like, that's it. Those are your weeks. There's just not that many They're They're, they're just kind of um, they're staring you in the face. Yep. There they are. That's it. Those are all your weeks. And, and you're not at the beginning of that, Crazy. you know, you're somewhere in the middle. So that's it. And, and by the way, you, the, you might not be in that great shape the last 10 of those years. So, you know, if you, the weeks till your eighties, even less, I mean, it's just, that's it. It's a little collection of weeks and that's it. That's it for eternity. That's all you got. Oh God. So on one hand, that's a sad, upsetting thing, stressful thing, because the delu- it gets rid of the happy delusion that I have endless. This is just a week. I have thousands and thousands of weeks and millions of weeks. No, you don't. Okay. So that's the first thing. Uh, on the other hand, the, 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 I'd much rather have the get rid of that happy delusion, which makes us make waste weeks and make bad decisions. Um, and that we regret so much later, I'd much rather have a situation where I'm sad and stressed and realistic about the weeks I have now so that I act rationally based on that fact. So that's how I feel. Got it. Got it. Well, I feel like that's a good way to close it, right? Just to get of give people the, the, the right message of being able to take action and like, listen, yeah, don't, don't waste any, don't waste weeks. You don't have time. Yeah. And, right. and by the way, the, the two things, don't waste weeks or days. Um, but fun is not a waste. This is important because mm. people think, you know, and don't waste, I have to go be productive. Remember the pendulum swung far. Don't waste weeks. But if you're having fun or you're spending time with your family and you're laughing with your family or you're sitting around with your friend shooting the shit, that is, that is a good use of a week. 
So um, that doesn't, you know, it, it, I don't like, I don't want this to seem like it's a call to work harder. It might be yeah. for some people, but that's not what I really mean. It's, 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 you know, live weeks well, whatever that means to you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think our discussion around what's going to happen potentially in the future is, is only just an exclamation on, on that, right? Like it's not just about working hundred hours a week, unless you're, unless you're Elon Musk, I guess. Well, Tim, yeah. I, I really, really enjoy this conversation. It's super, super insightful. Where can people learn more about you? Uh, is, is there anything that you're working on that people should check out? Yeah. So just my blog is where I do most of my stuff, waitbutwhy.com and Wait sign up for the email list. If, um, if you want, like, I don't write that often. So people who sign up for the email list, then they know when I wrote something. That's, that's the thing we push people to do. Um, Beautiful. And I'm going to be doing a book in the fall, but we'll I'll talk about that more when it, when it's coming out. Okay, cool, cool. We'll love to have you back. I love this conversation. So uh, again, I really appreciate your time, Tim. And uh, thanks again, guys, for, for tuning in. And um, yeah, let us know if you guys have any feedback around this. It's awesome. All right, thanks. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.